0: I'm going to invite the ushers to pass out Bibles now and before we launch our new series which I'm very excited about this morning let's let's open in a word of prayer together. Oh God, we thank you that your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore our souls keep them. The unfolding of your word gives light it gives understanding to the simple. Make us wise, O God. The mouths of our hearts are open wide and pant, longing for your word. Your word is life. Fill us this day, O God, with your light and your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family. You ever wonder what we mean by life is a journey? I'm sure it has to do with the fact that life is filled with ups and downs, twists and turns, good times and hard times, but that we're all working our way towards a destination of some sort, however that is defined. One of the greatest discoveries in my life journey was when I first came to understand who God really is. And when I first believed in Jesus, I learned that my life was no longer my own. I belong to him now. Jesus, who creates all things, sustains all things, and has a purpose for everything. This new reality meant that I didn't have to navigate through this difficult life on my own anymore in search of meaning and purpose. All I needed to do was follow him. He will lead me. He will show me what he wants to do in and through me. My meaning and my value is now in him, not in my successes and failures anymore. That was so liberating for me because up to that point, my journey was hard. My failures were starting to define me. And I was painfully coming to accept that I was an aimless wanderer. This is real. I have found great comfort in knowing that from that point on, after putting my faith in Christ and beginning to follow Him, from that point on, I have found great comfort in knowing that my ups and my downs all mattered now because Jesus is working them all according to his grand purposes. He is God. So practically speaking, as I've encountered failure, frustrated plans, dead ends, disappointments, that relationship that didn't work out, that job that didn't work out, those plans that didn't work out, those efforts that failed. In all those great frustrations, I've been able to transcend my circumstances, trusting that he will continue to guide me forward toward his ends. And then at a later time, this is when it gets really good, I can look back and say, wow, God, you are amazing. You are so faithful. I could never have orchestrated that. I would never have planned it that way. But thank you. Thank you. I can see how you were working even in my failures and flops in life. Working them all together toward your good purposes. I can see it now. Thank you. Don't you love that about being a child of God? You know what I'm talking about. If you've been following Christ for some time now, six months maybe or longer, you'd know what I'm talking about. He never changes. He's always good and true, and therefore, God's promises always prevail, even when his people fail. And you know, that's one of the overarching themes of the whole Bible, the Bible is a grand story about God leading his people on a journey toward his Messiah, Jesus. The story has a beginning, at creation, an end, at new creation, and a very long middle which climaxes in the person and work of God's Son, Jesus, Redeeming humanity and eventually all of creation together at his return. And this story is filled with ups and downs, progress and setbacks, success and failures all along the way for God's people. But since it's God's very real story, there is ultimate meaning for us, there's a destination. And purpose toward Jesus and the good of his people for God's glory. His plans are never thwarted, as we see all throughout the Bible, and as is verified in world history. The Bible is a history book, it's amazingly accurate in its historical documentation of the ancient world. Family, this is important for us to note as we step back in time to the Old Testament, which records for us the history of God's people being called out of the world, formed and led toward Jesus, who arrives in the New Testament. We're launching this morning a new series for the months ahead in the Old Testament books of Ezra, Nehemiah. I'm very excited for this. We're going to be preaching through these two books as a unit because, they, because ancient sources show that they were originally composed as a unit. And we will see, this will be made clear to us as we walk through the movements of the book will see their interconnectedness and unified meaning all throughout Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah is a story that highlights a most pivotal stage in God's grand story of redemption and one that keeps us looking toward the coming of Jesus. Now, though we are stepping back in time, before Jesus even arrives on earth, we can still identify with these people. They are the same humans, believing in the same God, who holds out the same promises in His Word that we cling to today. Yes. We have more insight and revelation 2,000 years after Jesus. Much has been fulfilled and completed, but we surely can still relate and identify with these people in the Old Testament. And I would argue that we must see our relation to them. In order to understand the fullness of who Jesus is and why he came, We must relate to these people in both their faithfulness and their failures. As we do, we'll discover that God's promises always prevail even when his people fail. You ever fail at keeping your promises? Uh Uh-oh. In all seriousness, you ever fail at keeping your promises to God? Has God ever been so good to you that you respond by saying, thank you, that's it. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to start doing this for you. I'm going to start doing this. And you don't. Or maybe you're so burdened by by patterns of sinful behavior, un- ungodly patterns of, of, uh, in, in your life, and, and, and you get to a point where you say, that's it. I'm done, God. I'm done. Starting tomorrow, no longer am I going to do this. I'm going to start doing this. And you don't. Or maybe you do for a few days or even a few weeks. But then you forget and you resort back to your ways. If you can relate, you need to know that this is not new. This is not new. And you're not the only failure in your pursuit of righteousness before God. You're not. As a matter of fact, at this point in God's story, Ezra and Nehemiah, His people, Israel, failed God so badly that he had to finally follow through with the judgment he told them he would bring about if they kept rejecting him and turning to their own ways. Time and time again, year after year, mercy, 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 God extended to his people. Israel was an untouchable kingdom formed by God of his people, prosperous in all their ways. God was with them and promised that he would bless them, and he did. But they couldn't stop failing him. And they lost everything. The kingdom split. The northern kingdom conquered and taken away into captivity. The remaining southern kingdom, with its Davidic king and center of worship in Jerusalem, just couldn't keep their promises and couldn't keep their covenantal commitments to follow their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. This story is recorded for us in in the Kings, the book of Kings. And 2 Chronicles, the books following Kings, 2 Chronicles, the final chapter, 36, records for us the fate of Jerusalem. This is the final chapter of Chronicles right before Ezra Nehemiah begins. And I want to read these final words of Second Chronicles to you all just to pave the way for Ezra Nehemiah. Second Chronicles 36, final words of the chapter. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people and there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and to his sons. Game over. The people of God taken into captivity in Babylon. Their temple and kingdom destroyed. Their community, sense of identity and purpose, dissolved. The book of Lamentations records the misery, helplessness, and despair the people of God found themselves in during this time. And God did this to them. Using the Babylonian Empire, he wiped them out. We have Psalms of exile recorded for us during this time. Like Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat and wept, how can we sing songs of the Lord in a strange land now? Between 50 and 70 years go by, living in a foreign land, up to 70 years A whole generation has passed in needing to make a new life, in a new land, among a new people. The days of prosperous Israel were long over. Epic fail. Worst in all Israel's history the question that must have been going on through their hearts and minds, even if it remained as only a faint whisper. Is it really over? Have you really let us go forever? I'm so sorry. We're so sorry. Would you forgive us just once more? Is it really? Are we forsaken forever? Let's enter into the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Okay, before we move on, first things first. There's a major shift in the setting. This is now the first year of King Cyrus, of Persia's reign, about the time of 538 B.C. This is the first year after the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire and takes control over the land and the people. Remember, the people of God have been scattered throughout this land for up to 70 years in the former Babylonian Empire, now the Persian Empire. There's a new king, a new rule, and he has an announcement. This proclamation would likely have been verbally announced in the public squares and most certainly posted everywhere throughout the towns. Listen up, everybody. Listen up. The new king has a message. Verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Shock sweeps across the land. Speechless eye contact is made as Jews look at one another. Speechless. Verse 3. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Family. History indicates that a special feature of Ezra Nehemiah is that what we have here and throughout this book are actual Persian king decrees. Letters, lists, inventories. These are historical documents. How God uses these documents in his work is a major theme of this book that we'll continue to see all along the way. Now, we can only imagine the initial response from this lost generation of Israelites after up to 70 years when they first heard these words. What? Is this for real? This must be real. Did you hear what he said? Those were our God's words. Do you know what this means? Is Messiah coming? Do you think that this is what the Lord meant when He was telling us through Jeremiah? That after 70 years are completed in Babylon, He would come and visit us again and that He would fulfill His promise to bring us back? Could this be it? Family, the significance of these words coming from King Cyrus cannot be overstated. It was so clear that this message that came from the king was ultimately a message from God. The words from the person in the timing for the purpose all made abundantly clear from God for his people. The narrator of the story, and we know this, because God already revealed these significant elements of this proclamation in part over the last 150 years through his prophets in many ways. To name a few, the prophet Isaiah who prophesied 100 years before Jeremiah declared, "In order to show that I am God and there is no other God, I have anointed Cyrus to pave the way for my people." He named Cyrus over a hundred years prior. Then Jeremiah, who prophesied in the days leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile, said, one day God would conquer Babylon, whom he used to conquer his people. And after 70 years of exile, he would again return to his people and restore their community in their land for his name's sake. Just to name a few of many ways that the Lord spoke through his prophets long before this time. God already indicated exactly what he would do, how he would do it, who would be involved, and when it would happen. This precision is extraordinary. And here it is, God's promises being fulfilled even though... His people failed him miserably. So, God stirs up the heart of Cyrus, who is led to make a proclamation to the people of Israel to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, the house of the Lord. He says, may God be with them. Now he doesn't only say whoever wants to go go he also says everyone who dwells around these people returning should supply them with provisions for their journey and Cyrus goes one step further and says also give them free will offerings for their god that is give them extra offerings for them to use along the way and when they get there as expressions of thanksgiving to God. What? What? Unfathomable mercy and grace. They don't deserve this. What? This proclamation was life changing life-changing, God once again demonstrates to his people that he is faithful, he is sovereign, he keeps his word, and that when he guides, he will provide for his people. One can't help but to hear echoes of the Exodus through this passage. God leading his people out of captivity together toward a new beginning and providing silver and gold for their journey. Different circumstance, same faithful, all-powerful God. Let's read on now and see how the people respond in verses 5 through 10. Then the heads of fathers' households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. All those about them encouraged them with articles of silver, with gold, with goods, with cattle, and with valuables, aside from all that was given as a freewill offering." Also, King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had had them brought out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and he counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Now this was their number, 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, 29 duplicates, 30 gold bowls, 410 silver bowls of a second kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver numbered 5,400. Sheshbazar brought them all up with the exiles who went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. So the people respond to God's prompting. But we can't read over what's ultimately going on here. God initiates this movement by stirring Cyrus's heart to make the proclamation, and then God stirs the hearts of his people to respond to the proclamation. They respond faithfully and prepare to return and rebuild. Another sense of this word to stir is to awake. He was awakening them to something. He awoke them for a purpose. What we see here is of great theological significance, family. God accomplishes his will in powerful, providential, and unexpected Ways. He is in control over all things, despite how uncontrollable our circumstances may seem. We need to know this. And there is no heart too strong and powerful or too weak and fragile. For him to stir with loving affections for himself, or to just simply stir in a way to accomplish his purposes. He can do that. He does that. Still, we need to know that. Remember that in your prayers. For others, whether that be for their salvation or for your protection. He initiates, we respond. He moves in our lives and in our circumstances and in our hearts, and we respond. Now, not everyone returns. Only a fraction returned. Let's get back to reality, they likely said, many of them. And we might also. Why would I go back to a rubble pit? I've made a life for myself here. My kids are doing well here. Look at all I've accomplished, all I've gained. I've been here for over 50 years. I'm not going back to nothing. My kids now have families here. They've never even seen Jerusalem. Family, for these 50 plus years, they were not slaves in the same way as when the people were enslaved in Egypt. They were, they they were free to make a life for themselves in Babylon. Jeremiah told them to do so, to plant gardens and prosper in their new land, and many did very well To return then would include leaving everything you have and everything you've accomplished to trek 800 miles to a pit. Will you go? To a pit that God says, that's my pit. That's where I'll be. You coming? What's in your best interest? Would you go? Scripture says, everyone whose spirit God had stirred went. He didn't leave a single one whom He he wanted. He will fulfill His promised will. He stirred their spirits he revived their hearts and put a new pep in their step. Those who went, they were ready. And family, we need to recognize the fullness of what experience, what's going on here. That was not easy after decades of a stable life. Now notice something important here. The heads of the fathers' households of Judah. Benjamin, the priests, and the Levites. These were the remaining tribes in Judah before the exile, along with their priests. What we see here is remarkable continuity that God is keeping his community through thick and thin. This renewed community is central to this story. The elements that he's gathering here for the return of his people and the rebuilding of his dwelling place are the same essential elements of his covenantal community before their demise. His people, the whole congregation of them, and even their articles of worship, their vessels for worship. Verse 7 says that Cyrus brings out the articles of the house of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. Here, Cyrus gives them to Sheshbazar, the prince or appointed overseer of the returning Judeans. And scripture then records for us a description, a very explicit description of the articles returned, further attesting to the historic validity of this event. And we can't overlook the importance of these vessels either. These vessels of worship, they symbolized the people's direct and personal connection with the people of Israel from generation to generation. God's covenantal community. We could imagine in part what this might be like. Imagine... Your house was robbed. All your valuables taken. Your sentimental items. Your parents, grandparents, great grandparents' items that have been passed down. You come home one day and it's all gone. Your place has been swept clean, it's wiped of everything that was near and dear to you and that connected you with your loved ones and family's history. And years go by, you're forced to move on, but then one day you get a call. Hello, Ms. Jones, this is Officer Delgado. We got him, we got him. And we got all your items too. I'll send an officer right over to deliver them all back to you. Thank you. Hallelujah, my links are back. We can understand that. Now, family, on on a separate note, but in a very similar way, It's important for us to get this concept. This is is why even today in our services, you will hear us, we will lead you, Ben and the worship team will lead us in, in, in reciting original creeds and confessions of the early church and church throughout all of history. What we're doing when we're reciting these creeds and confessions, we are keeping ourselves in continued community with God's holy, united, faithful church. Continuity with the past assures purity for the future. So, if you could imagine here, the king himself delivering all these precious vessels and articles back to the Judeans... The people of the land giving the Judeans all sorts of silver, gold, livestock, and supplies. Could you imagine the fullness of joy, the encouragement, the empowerment. God is still with us. He's still with us. We're going back. Hallelujah. All of God's people with their vessels, supplies, and leader, Sheshbazar, going out from Babylon to Jerusalem. A remarkable statement and remarkable turning point in history. God's very words of prophetic hope Spoken through former prophets, being fulfilled right before their eyes. God's promises always prevail, even when his people fail. This first chapter of Ezra sets the stage for the entirety of Ezra Nehemiah. The main character is introduced. All of God's people, those who respond to the stirring of God together, main character. And the main event, returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple, God's dwelling place. This is a story of a new beginning after a long period of exile, discipline, and failure And it's a story of renewed passion, of revitalizing faith and spiritual life. We will walk closely with the people of God in the months ahead on their journey to return and rebuild the house of the Lord. There will be ups and downs on this journey. There will be surprising twists and turns. And through it all, we will see God's faithfulness every step of the way. We can understand ups and downs, surprising twists and turns just in our last couple years together, huh? We can also understand God's faithfulness through it all. And isn't that the spiritual life also, huh? Ebbs and flows, fillings and depletings, ups and downs. Some days we feel close to God and full of joy. Other days we couldn't feel farther from God. Overwhelmed with failure, frustrations, our sin, our corrupt ways. Where are you today? Do you feel close to God or far from God? Full of spiritual life or empty? Wherever you are, there is a reason why you are here today. You see, in Ezra's day, they had to go back to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. Because God said in Deuteronomy 12:5 that in Jerusalem he will set his name and his dwelling place. And it is there they will find the Lord. And there they will exalt God and where his presence would be made known. Now, in our time, In this stage of God's story, it's in scattered local churches all around the world, in worshiping communities of God's people that we praise God and proclaim his wonderful mercies and majesty. It is here among God's people that God dwells and is to be found today. God is with us. Among us. And the same way that God stirred the hearts of the people, of his people then, he stirs our hearts today. Same way. He filled them with a new drive and purpose. How might he be stirring our hearts this season? Maybe he's stirring you to come back. You've been far off for too long. He wants you to come back to him and his people, to be filled with him. Maybe your spiritual life has been stale and mundane for too long. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, Wake up from your spiritual slumber. Salvation is near. Maybe he's stirring you to go out. Go. Maybe you're enjoying the riches of knowing Christ and his church so much that you never go out into the world to make him known. Maybe he wants to show you, even you, what he wants to do and can do through you if you're willing to step out. God uses the unexpected ones to accomplish his work for his glory a theme that we just saw in ezra one and we see reflected all throughout the scripture even you even me anyone who knew me 10 plus years ago if they were in this room today they'd be looking at you all like are you nuts you listen to him I got family in the room today. They'll tell you, please don't. (laughs) God did a thing. I got stirred. Maybe he's stirring you with a new calling in life. Maybe he wants you to consider a new career path. Maybe full-time ministry. Maybe missions work. Maybe he's preparing you to be sent long term. Maybe he's stirring you to serve in an area of ministry here. Maybe he's stirring you to draw closer to his people here for spiritual growth. Maybe he's calling you to come in. Maybe you don't really know God and what it means to be a Christian. Well, what we just read about God first stirring the hearts and then people responding, that's what's commonly referred to as the divine initiative, which means that God always initiates his salvation with grace. Before he calls us to respond, he gives first. To be a Christian is to see the grace of God in the person and work of his son Jesus and respond by faith in him and to be united to him. 2,000 years ago, while we were still sinners. Jesus died for us. We didn't deserve that. We were his enemies, dishonoring God's glory for our own glory. And what did he do? He came for us. Grace. He gave us His Son to take our sin upon Himself on the cross so that we would have His righteousness by faith in Him, His forgiveness, and be reconciled to God forever and ever. He purchased salvation for us through the death and resurrection of His Son and opens an invitation to all, all of us, This is how he calls us to himself. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who believes in me will have a new beginning and new life. Everyone is welcome. But he also said, No one comes to me Unless the Father draws him, God will stir our hearts to come to him and receive his salvation by grace in his Son. It is up to us to respond. Is he drawing you? Is he stirring your heart to come in Would you come, believe in him, receive eternal life with him and us? We're a fun group. Yeah, we can get a bit cranky at times, but what family doesn't? And we're on a place together where cranky doesn't exist. Amen? Jesus came to lead us to our greatest destination, himself. He is the way and the final destination. When he returns, he will usher us into an eternal destination filled with only ups and everlasting joy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you that you are the same faithful God who unceasingly extends mercy, mercy, grace, grace to your people. Forgive us, O God. Stir us up. Stir our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Call us to yourself. Put within us Faith to believe in you, Lord, awaken us, awaken faith among us, strengthen faith among us, build us up, send us out, draw us in deeper to yourself and to one another. Build us up today, in this week, and in the months ahead as we continue to follow your people in these times of Ezra Nehemiah. Lord, build us up in our faith that we would be filled with the fullness of joy and you would be glorified among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.